Ken. As always, we have a really great guest today on The Modern White Man, the podcast where we discuss what it means to be a modern white man who is anti-racist, anti-sexist, and understands his role in creating equity. Don Johnson is a mentor, motivator, and mindset coach with over 20 years of experience in sales working in the food industry. She left the 9 to 5 world in 2018 and has gone on to start two successful businesses, White Elephant Consulting and Don Johnson Life and Mindset Coaching, both uniquely focused on wellness at individual and organizational levels. Her work with White Elephant Consulting is particularly relevant to us, though, as it helps leaders disrupt long-standing institutional barriers resulting from microaggressions, privilege, and racial inequities. Don is also an elite track coach, which lends to many helpful metaphors, I'd say, when talking about anti-racism and anti-sexism work. Because, as I'm sure Don would agree, track stars have to be just as mentally tough as physically tough to be successful. You know, I was thinking about all the different track and field events there are, and, you know, full disclosure, I actually had to Google all of the track and field events because I think the last time I did anything track and field related was in middle school. But I thought the best event to describe equity work would be a relay, don't you think? It's, you know, something that we do with others. We each have to own our own portion of the race. And sometimes we need to hand the baton to others. You and I have talked a lot about that being challenging for white men since we're accustomed to being in power and making the decisions. So I thought it would be a great metaphor to set the stage for this discussion. First off, kudos on the creativity of the track and field (laughs) metaphor. I'm loving it. And I'd really love to go down how you did in middle school in those uh, track and field events. Oh, no, you don't. Probably don't have enough time. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about your accolades. Uh, But there's so much good stuff in the conversation with Don. She really touches on so many different important topics. And what I think a lot of our listeners appreciate and learn from is how much of it has to do within the workplace. And she talks a lot about her experience as a black woman trying to navigate systemic barriers that exist within corporate America in many cases, but many organizations and just her storytelling and vulnerability about that and exactly how it felt. And again, I think reinforces the importance of storytelling and vulnerability that in this work, how we can all learn from one another and learn from different experiences and very thankful to Don for that, because I really did have a lot of takeaways from that and really empowering the way she talked about showing up and being unapologetically white And so I think that y'all are really going to find that really interesting and, again, empowering. So you want to stick around towards the end of the conversation when she talks about how being unapologetically white is so important. And that kind of links to it. It had me thinking about how you and I, you know, when we started this podcast 100 episodes ago or whatever we're at right now, we really almost wrestled with that idea. How do we present it in a way where we can show, like, the end result of the modern white man is to have a positive identity as a white man in being in in creating equity and in creating inclusivity and being anti-racist and that whole just concept of of having a positive white identity as a white male it's like how do we even talk about that how do we even present that is that you know is that even something that we can or should be talking about or aiming for 
And I think if, as you and I have gone through our process together, and as we've been talking to other folks and learning from folks, and as we've been growing, we've seen really the, the importance of that. I and mean, I, I can speak for myself where I, I do have a more positive identity as a white man who is trying to play his part and role in creating equity and inclusivity for others. And I think Don really reinforced that really powerfully in talking about uh, being unapologetically white. So that was something that y'all are, will, I think will definitely uh, enjoy hearing. Yeah, agreed. I feel motivated right now, even just excited to go to work tomorrow. Cause I'm like, there's, there's work for me to do. There's a, there are roles for me to play. And I'm already have several ideas from the conversation we had about things I can implement tomorrow not next year, not five years from now, but literally tomorrow I can start doing differently or stop doing to really be a champion, right? It's word that she used, right? For folks of color in the workplace. So I'm excited to put that into practice right away. And you know, you know, you got a good coach in someone when they can challenge you and I about racism and we're walking away from this conversation feeling like motivated, empowered, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yep. you know, you got a good coach and yep. she's an excellent coach. And, you know, part of the reason we wanted her on too, is just to talk about her work and, and promote her and what she's doing. And you can find out more about Don Johnson and, and hire her to be your coach. You can go to her website and we'll also post links to her website in the show notes. As always, please reach out to us with questions, thoughts, feedback, or guest or topic ideas at themodernwhiteman at gmail.com, or you can check us out at our website at themodernwhiteman.com. All right, let's not keep you all waiting any longer. Here's our conversation with Don. We are pleased to be joined by Don Johnson. Don, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. Absolutely. So Don, you know, you and I met a while back. You know, I remember the first time that we talked, you shared a little bit about your story of being in the corporate world for a few decades, like you said, 23 years, and you yes. know, everything you had to endure being a black woman. It, it resonates with me to this day, and that's why I wanted to invite you to be on The Modern White Man, because I, you know, I believe you have a lot to teach us. And, you know, our conversation left me asking, I think, a lot of questions. My head was spinning in sort of this, like, healthy sort of paranoia kind of way of, like, how am I perpetuating inequities? What microaggressions am I committing on a daily basis? You know, what in what ways do I maintain institutional barriers to women and people of color? You know, essentially it was like, how am I complicit in creating the same experiences that Don went through at my workplace? And more importantly, and this is kind of the, the crux of uh, the question for our show is, how can I use my power and privilege as a white man to do something about it? I think this is kind of part of your magic as a coach. You just kind of inspire people to think critically and take accountability. I feel always very challenged in a good way after I talk to you. So I'm excited to dig into all of that. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's learn a little bit more about you. You know, we know about your impressive resume we talked about at the beginning of the show and how you left the corporate world to go on to start two successful businesses. Can you just tell us a little bit more about the work you do in those businesses and what led you to start them? Well, um, 2018, April of 2018, you never forget the day you were fired, ever. You never forget that day. It goes down to infamy. April 27th was my last day uh, in corporate America after 22 and a half years. I was fired. And uh, the journey to be accepted and seen 
for the work and value that I bring to the organization was a daily battle for me. It seems like when you are the only in majority white spaces, being welcomed or that feeling of being welcomed and included and happy that you're there in, in the space, right? You, you don't feel that. And so what I do in my work as a life and wellness advocate or coach is getting people to feel it. And I know men like, ooh, we got to feel, I got to have emotions. Yes, actually you do. So that feeling of being really uncomfortable is the feeling that you are growing. It's that feeling that you are expanding. I feel really good about the space that I'm in today because I have more autonomy. I don't have to per se deal with a systematic culture that is preventative of me actually being the best Dawn that I could be. Because I always felt like, okay, because there, I'm, have you ever heard the term code switch? You know, most black people, and this is something that white people need to understand that most black people are not themselves. The majority, we have to change our speech, change, uh, you know, sometimes the dress for black women. It can be hair, which is a, a big deal all over uh, the country in the workplace, right? And so, in the work that I'm doing now to have these very direct, heart-centered conversations is where transformation happens because you have to feel it. I had one time called myself a mindset coach and I'm like, you know, it's really not about the mind. It's really about your heart. It's really, you know, how do you feel? And when you show up in this work, can you let go and unlearn many of the things that may not be your fault, right? You just grew up a certain way. You know, this is what I always knew. And so to get to challenge individuals that, you know what, you're going to have to really dig deep to unlearn what you've been taught your whole life from birth to now. That's so great, Don. There's so much in there that is really rich. One thing that we hear a lot from our listeners is being in the workplace. When we're thinking about how can we be anti-racist, anti-sexist, we spend so much time at work for better or worse. That could be a whole different conversation, yeah. right? But it's like, it, you know, that's such an important way for us to make an impact for us really striving. And so your story is really apt for that. And maybe as a starting point, you, you mentioned institutional barriers that you face throughout your career and how it's a daily grind to show the value that you bring. And now almost like the relief it is that you don't have to deal with the systematic culture that holds back your best authentic self. And that's something that white men and, and you know individuals that don't have these systematic barriers can easily never recognize, right? The idea of code switching and how exhausting that can be and, and what a grind that can be. Can you give more context to some of some more of those institutional barriers that just exist in the workplace that really were exhausting and, and you know and many other things to have to deal with on a daily basis? You know, if if white people showed up in more spaces that were diverse, had proximity to blackness, you know, showed up in our spaces, there wouldn't be this othering in corporate spaces. I mean, at times it's like if I'm the only black woman in the room, and that's happened many times and I can count in my corporate career, that because I am different, I am 
I am different. And so with that difference, you know, there's the, the white gaze that is longer than it ever should be, right? There's this, you know, and there's this curiosity because I think there is this bubble that most white people live in. And so when they actually see a black person, it's, a, it's like a childlike curiosity. And to me at this point, it's just weird because you have the same opportunities that I have to be in spaces that are diverse. And so because most corporate cultures don't identify that as an issue or a problem, as the general population of you know, corporate America, the responsibility to feel accepted and included, it is on the individual who is othered. And we get used to that. We get used to putting on this armor when we walk into these spaces. It's almost like getting the bathroom. Okay, let's go. Let's get it. Let's get this pep talk. I'm ready. I can do it. And that is a lot of wear and tear on one human's body and soul to endure that type of really internalized, like, okay, I, I've, I can do this because we know that we have to, we have to speak up. We, I have to make sure that my face, I look pleasant all the time because if I don't, oh, Don, what's wrong? What's wrong? What, why do you have an attitude today? And why aren't you, and, and you know, and then if I talk too much, hey, Dawn, you seem to be, you know, overpowering the room right now. You might want to allow someone else to, to have some space. So you walk this fine line. And I tell you, man, there are so many days that I got it wrong every time because the rule book wasn't created to include me. And if you aren't brought into corporate culture with someone who will champion you, who will sponsor you, who will sing your praises every time you talk to them, then you're going to get lost in a sea of just being othered. And in the othering, it takes away from your expertise, your knowledge, your wisdom, your business acumen, all the things that are considered when you're being promoted for the next job and the next job after that. And so where is the onus of responsibility? Because Black people, if you want to hire us on all these great diversity initiatives, then you have to make sure you have a successful plan of entry for each and every one of us to feel safe, to feel welcomed, to feel like part of the team, not just on the day one, I'm talking about every day, and to acknowledge our expertise in the workplace and not the outward aesthetic that others us in the first place. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about the show, and the, another central question of the show is what what can white men do? Like, what are our roles in equity work? And I think you've given us, well, I know you've given us a couple of great examples and let me just repeat it back. So I'm, I heard it right. You know, number one is that champion. And that doesn't mean that let's say I'm your manager, right? Or I'm a manager of a black woman company organization. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be their mentor, right? It means right. getting them resources and getting them connected throughout the organization and advocating for them. And then, and then partly because I do hold that power of their, in a lot of ways, their career advancement, like making sure that I'm really investing in development. And that's, so that's number one that I took away. And then the other thing is, and I think this really requires some real observation, I'd say, on our part, because when you talk a lot about some of these things you endured, to me, at least to white people, they're pretty subtle. And I say very explicitly to white people, to people of color, it's very overt, right? Some of the 
the things that are said or unsaid, or even the way people look at you, like the white gaze. So I see another role in the sense of us seeing that and interrupting it. Or if you bring up something and you're kind of dismissed or gaslighted and we're in the meeting, be like, no, 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 I think that's legitimate, right? Like, or kind of speaking on your behalf. And is that accurate as kind of two roles that mm-hmm. we can play? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and where is the line with playing these roles and being a white savior? You know what I mean? Or especially a white male savior. Is there anything you've noticed working with white men of how to, how to balance that? Um, you know, I don't draw that line. The, the whole white savior piece doesn't really didn't really show up much in 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 my corporate experience. It really didn't. Um, you know, I, I might have actually appreciated appreciated it compared to like nothing, right? And so in the workplace environment, that white savior concept, I don't think it shows up as much as it does. I think outside of the workplace is really where I see. Oh, and I see it in the nonprofit industry. That's right, especially nonprofits that serve black and brown humans. But what I would have appreciated is white men who are in these positions to be able to look down the road is to I would need to be seen as a viable asset to the organization. We have to have those conversations, those very direct conversations that that feedback. And if the only feedback you're getting is negative, if the only feedback you're getting is riddled in, you know, really racist ideology, like, okay, well, well, you talk with your hands or, you know, you, your tone was just like really abrasive and, oh, you were super short. And I could sit next to, and this is also misogyny and sexism. It's like a woman can do, you know, exactly what a man does. And it's like, oh, it's just, it's just the worst thing ever. Right. So being able to see us all equal on the same, if we're all managers and we're all peer to peer, then I can act if I choose to. That's accepted within the culture, right? I mean, we've been in meetings where, you know, white men will just storm out and like, and it's okay. Like, oh yeah, you know, Bob's really upset and he's just so passionate to, you know, about his team and da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, can I be afforded that same grace? And so if we get to this this point where white men, you know, who have the power and they pass it down to white women because that's where the power dynamic is. And then it's everybody else. Just being able to just speak your truth when you see it, because there's nothing micro about microaggressions to a person of color who endures this multiple times a day. You know, I, I love that idea of the importance of championing not only the efforts, DEI efforts, but also championing sponsoring individuals. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, how structured should that be? Where I'm coming at with this is, you know, I have experience in the past with mentorship programs. And like, I have seen the more structured a mentorship program, the better, right? As far as like, championing, sponsoring individuals, should it be a structure that is like leaders are trained in somehow in a DEI or some kind of, you know, culture, inclusive cultures of belonging, how they can really help to support and create that? Is the champion sponsoring, is that like a structured part of that or how just organic should it be? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I just uh, got off a call with a potential client and they're looking to outsource individuals to come into the organization to support 
their high potential employees that are black and brown women, because they are aware that their managers are not equipped to be able to do exactly what you just mentioned, Ken. Yeah. Um, wow. Like even just, I mean, an organization, sorry to jump in, but I just like to call that out that if there was ever an example of how these cultures really aren't supportive of black and brown folks, that you have to look to an external organization to come in to do mentoring and sponsoring like that, that, like for a company to be like, we don't even have the necessary skill set or the necessary culture in place Mm -hmm. to be able to sponsor or properly mentor someone who's not white or has dominant culture traits is just, if that's not a powerful example to see how far many cultures at workplaces have to go, I don't know what is. I mean, literally, they would have to probably fire everybody (laughs) and start from scratch. I'm curious though, Don, let's say you get pulled into an organization and they, they come to you and say, We got a bunch of middle managers who don't have an inclusive mindset, but we want to help them build that skill set to mentor because we got a lot of yeah, we're all about the and I, right? Yeah, yeah. So my yeah, my my curiosity is: let's say you are sitting down with one of these leaders, and you know, you mentioned that you're well, you're a mindset coach, but you reframe that to be a heart center coach. What's sort of step one with this guy? Like, where do you begin to change? hearts and minds. I mean, I know this is like the billion dollar question, right? But for you, Coach Don, you know, where do you begin with these folks? You're about to be really uncomfortable. That is literally the number one decision you have to make to do this work, that I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be made to feel shame. And that is really what white people, like we all have ancestral trauma, okay? The ancestral trauma that I experience is because I am a descendant of slave, of people who were enslaved. And you are descendants of individuals who own slaves or enslaved other humans. And there is trauma in your body from that. And so part of why white people get so triggered, it's that shame. It lies multiple levels below, but that is what's triggered. It's shame and it's guilt. And a lot of white individuals, the woke white folks that are out here just doing this work, is that they're doing it in really an unhealthy way. Shaming another human is not how you have true transformational heart-centered change. Never going to happen by making you feel even worse than you already feel. And nobody wants to be made to feel like they're bad, especially when, again, well, that's just how it always was. Well, that's just what we learned in our household. That's just how we talked, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, hey, guys, can we get uncomfortable? Can you get uncomfortable to get on the other side so you can be able to feel what it's like to be othered or to be the only? And yes, there is room for white men in the DE&I space, because again, most men are in positions of power and leadership to make the actual change needed within that culture. It really is about a culture shift dynamic of your organization. Ask the black and brown people how they're experiencing your leadership. Do they feel welcome and included? Do they feel heard? Do they feel safe being in your energy, being in your presence? And you can know that by just asking the question. 
by allowing them that space where it'd be great. I really want you to be yourself, understanding the terms, understanding what code switching is. I really want you to show up and be your authentic self. And as soon as we hear that, we're going to go, ooh, I don't, I don't know. That hasn't really worked out for me in my you know, 20 year career to show up as my authentic self. But that really is the sweet spot that we all need to be successful is that I have to be me. I have been able to accomplish things that I never knew I would be able to do outside of corporate culture. That's powerful, though, that you and, and thank goodness, too, that you're you were able to realize your power and potential. And it's too bad that it was tamped down. Right. And you, I hear you saying too, you just kind of every day, every day to advocate for your value. Mm-hmm. It's got to be more than just a paycheck. There has to be, you know, a culture of inclusivity and welcoming and championing and supporting, not just for the 30, 60, 90 day. It's got to be three, five, 10 year. We have to be, have a seat at the table to be considered for opportunities that will open up down the road to retain us. But you have to be open enough to share in that wisdom, to share in the collective, collective power to bring us in. Otherwise, we're leaving in droves to create our own thing. But we need more of those very unapologetic. As we talk about being unapologetically black, I need white folks to be unapologetically white to break down systems of white supremacy. Unapologetic about it. Like the work that you guys are doing. Break through to these individuals. Get them. And it's like I said, I don't know if it's a you know, behind closed doors and they can't do it publicly, but however you do it, one, you know, white guy at a time, you know, to get them to be able to see that there's so much value in this space. You know, that's really got me thinking of what Paul and I, on our journey of doing this podcast, what we as white men are really trying to do at the end of the day is create a culture change within white men. Like to have a culture change, we're talking about race and privilege and and barriers for other identities, dominant culture, that becomes the norm. And for white men to become comfortable to talk about these things. But the thing about culture change is it's so important because we talk about culture change within white men, but also at organizations, how important it is. And for your perfect examples as to why culture and the institutional barriers that exist, like breaking those down creating behavior change that leads to culture change, that all takes a really long time. And it's really hard for the sustainability for folks because of white fragility and all of these different things that seem just really difficult on the onset, right? It's like, oh, you know what? I've tried, but I'll think about microaggressions from here and there, but actual behavior and lifestyle change to therefore create culture change is a long-term process. Have you, through your coaching or through your experiences with working with leaders, how do you see the sustainability of that, the importance of that, how it, how it works well to really create that long-lasting culture change that you know we really need to go for? And get used to doing storytelling. I think about just through this podcast with you, how important storytelling is and, and, and learning to be vulnerable to storytell and how much you can learn from others. It just, it needs to be so ingrained in everything that we do. So it's not some external company that has to mentor just a few folks because we don't have that culture that exists, right? It's mm-hmm. how, I, I guess it's, 
It's how do we do that long-term heart-centered mindset work? Gosh, well, you got to show up. You have to show up and they're not showing up. That's what I'm seeing. They're just not, they're just not showing up. And our, my preferred demographic has been working with white women. And literally I tell white women, go get your men. Okay. Go, you know, speak this life of anti-racism into your children. I mean, white people so want to just believe, oh, we can just all be human and, and race doesn't matter. Color doesn't matter. Well, yes, it does. It was literally constructed. And so the reason why we keep talking about race is not the reason why racism is still a thing. Racism is still a thing because white people don't want to talk about it. And you have to make a choice to show up and be unapologetically white in this work of being anti-racist. Be uncomfortable. Get it wrong. That's how you know that you're at least trying because you should stumble. Fail forward in this work. I can't tell you how many times I've messed up, how many times I've failed. Good. It's I've lost track of count at this point. That's yeah, good. and it doesn't the count doesn't matter, right? It it it's it is about showing up. That I think that's such a powerful point. It's something that it took me years to learn because I wanted to stop showing up because it sucked, to be honest, right? When I when I messed up, yes. when I failed. Yes. But then, you know, as I matured in this, I've learned that 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 has been the most powerful learning opportunities for me. When white people say, "Oh, I hate that everything is about race. Why can't we just be human beings?" Well, then white people, then I need you to start seeing my humanity. But you can't see my humanity because you are very much stuck in the biases that you were taught and you haven't unlearned those things. Yeah, that's where my mind was going with that, too, is with we say the word bamboozled on this podcast all the time. Like we've been bamboozled that we have these hierarchies of worth from human beings, the dominant cultural characteristics that have been seeped in our societies. And we've been bamboozled and we miss out on people's humanity because of that. We miss out on relationships because of that. We miss out yes. on like accessing our full, our personal own full humanity and connecting with the world and different lived experiences because we've been bamboozled to think that certain things should be valued or, and we have all these biases that have been seeped into us. And one of the things that really motivates me is like, I want to break all of those things down that have been put into me outside of my own will and to see and recognize reality and how it's benefited me and how it's benefited me and my journey and others like me and what I've done to perpetuate it. And all of those things it's easy to just go along with it, but where the effort comes in is to recognize that. Is that painful from time to time? Yeah, sure, but nothing compared to what happens to black and brown folks because of that. And we have to fight through that to break that down. And coming out of it on the other side, it is so much more enriching. It's almost liberating. I feel like it's in a liberating experience. And to be able to to see people, that's how authentic selves can really be brought into spaces and cultures can be existed. And that's really what what fires me up. It's tearing apart all of our humanity. It 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 really, it really is. And and you gentlemen, since you are fathers, doing the work in your own homes and maybe empowering others to do the work 
and you're to not talk to your children about the injustices and the inequities in this world is a travesty because you just teaching them to be like all cute and privileged ain't working. Okay. And like every white friend of my sons that they go hanging out, they all got to come sit on my sofa so I can give them the speech. Hey, well, what's happening if y'all get pulled over and the police officer, Hey, what, what you going to do? You know, I, I mean, literally. And I said, have you ever had this conversation with your parents? No, ma'am. And then, you know, I was like, dang, these conversations need to be had in our home. So maybe the same offering that I give to my white women that I coach is that, you know, I need you to, to teach your children to be anti-racist. I need you to have black books, child storybooks in your home. I need you to culturally talk about black culture, watch the movies, all the little things. Bring your children to events where they'll be around other black kids. Come enjoy the culture. Okay. And you do not have to be a savior to enjoy the culture for what it is. Black people, because we have been so marginalized and it's excluded in every avenue of our existence, right? So we know how that feels. And so that's why when white people come into majority black spaces, guess what? We love up on you guys. Because first of all, you got to be really brave to be here. Thank you. We're like, oh, yes, we got one. And all you do is get loved up in these spaces. That's where the whole joke is. You know anything about being invited to the cookout? Okay. Because black people don't go to picnics. And you have to understand the history of that word to know why black people don't go to picnics. We go to cookouts. We have barbecues. All right. Because picnic, if you do your work on what a picnic was for black people, you know, Google that. You'll know that yeah. that's not what we do. When we have a cookout, we want the cool white people to come eat our food. Come on in here and have some real potato salad. Come on in here and, 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 and do the line dance with us. Come on in here and we'll teach you how to play spades. You know, these are the lessons when we talk about having this well-rounded cultural experience of life to be more than just exist. You have to. This is where that true expansion of love is when you can love everybody. That seems like there couldn't be a more perfect ending to our <laughs> conversation. I mean, yeah, no I, doubt. I, I feel motivated to keep showing up, keep you know, you, you, and to be, we talk about having this positive white identity to be anti-racist yeah. mm-hmm. and you, you saying being unapologetically, unapologetically white. white. We don't, and- yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I, that's my big takeaway too, is just, is unapologetically white. I remember joking with Ken at the beginning when we first started this podcast, joking about this idea of like, we want to get to a place of positive, you know, identity where we can stand on the, on the rooftops and shout, I'm, I'm a white man. And you know, you know like yeah, we, la- I mean- we laughed, a- we laughed about it. Cause we're like never in a million years with, <laughs> We do that, but now I'm rethinking that. You know, I still wouldn't do it, but you know, but just meta- metaphorically that. speaking, yeah, metaphorically yeah. speaking, but at yes. least that gets you out of your head, yeah, and, gives and that's you something that you can feel that yes, I'm gonna yes. be unapologetically white and break down these systems and any yep. one conversation at a time. I'm gonna use my privilege for good when I mm-hmm. see these things and equities happening. When I see microaggressions, maybe I'll pull you to the side. 
I love it. And y'all are probably wanting to keep this conversation going who are listening to this like we do. But we have Dawn's information, her website in the notes of this podcast episode. Dawn, we really appreciate you joining us. And thank you for, again, your storytelling, your motivation, being our light as we listen to this episode. And we're motivated to keep showing up and keep Thank trying you. to do our part to put, to create spaces where people can bring be their authentic selves and not have to code switch every day and where everybody can really grow and love and have compassion for one another. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yes. The Thanks most powerful for healing frequency is choosing to love. Thank you, Don. Okay. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thank Appreciate you so much. You. So many great things that Don provided us with, so many great learnings and takeaways. So thank you to Don for joining us. And again, as we said in the intro, her storytelling, her vulnerability with her lived experiences and reinforcing how important that is and the importance for all of us to keep showing up and the importance for all of us to be unapologetically white. As she said, wasn't that some powerful stuff? I mean, we're just very grateful to have had her as a guest and really take the time to speak with us and also provide such great insights for our listeners. Yeah, I just, I think that's such a great takeaway is keep showing up. It brings me back to our conversation with Dante where we talked about, you know, if you can't run, then jog. If you can't jog, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl, but keep moving, right? That's stuck with me. And I think that's just so key in our journey in this. And it does help too, if, to have that empowering feeling of, hey, we can be unapologetically white. And what does that look like? Right? And, and how can we even support each other in being that way? So, yeah, feeling motivated, feeling excited, feeling like I'm starting to see my own light a little bit after that conversation. Yeah, and too, I think with showing up, to keep showing up is also what she mentioned is, and we talk about this a lot in our episodes and she reinforced it with that is, you know, that mistakes are inevitable, right? When you show up and you try and you're trying to learn, you're trying to grow, you might make a mistake. You know what's cool about that? It's to get to a point where you can be grateful for those experiences because black and brown folks, if they tell you that you've made a mistake or they tell you something, there's a trust there. And it's not like saying, hey, I hate you. (laughs) It's actually the opposite, really. It's like, hey, I trust you. And hey, messing up is part of this. And I value you and I value you showing up and I value you trying and I and and I value having these conversations, right? It's so when you even think about messing up, it's a good thing in that sense of you're not being shunned as a as a bad person, quote unquote. You know, everyone's so afraid of being a bad person, being labeled a bad person or saying a bad thing. But you're not a bad person. You're you know, you're trying to do a good thing. If you mess up, it's part of it. And if that happens, you keep showing up. And that clicked in my conversation of how that's mm-hmm. such a positive thing. It's something that we're all very and rightfully so. It's not fun. You and I have all also talked about like when we've been called out or people have told us we made mistakes and it's part of the process and we look back and we're like oh i'm so happy that happened but at the time it's not fun and it's like horrible and you don't want it to happen but to even reframe that to be like wow i am in this person's trust circle of sorts that they're they even felt comfortable enough to tell me and that's motivation to keep showing up yep and like don said too maybe we are just the 57th person to say something and they're just just going just unleashing that anger and that's good that's okay too 
right? Yeah. Obviously, there's got to be some, maybe some form of trust there to be able to let that out. But also, everyone reaches their own breaking point, right? So I just love how she talked about how we need to do the work beforehand to be ready for that and be be able to ground ourselves. So yeah. it just reminds me of the importance of there's so much hard work and physical work and emotional work in this. It's not just intellectualizing this conversation because we need to be emotionally ready just as much as like intellectually ready for conversations. Yeah. So that was a huge reminder for me and helpful. But yeah, I, I, I really agree with the vulnerability piece. And I think that's why it's important. I like how we talk about the intersectionality of being men too, because we have been conditioned to think that vulnerability is bad in all forms, right? So I like how you said that we got to reframe vulnerability as a good thing. Absolutely. Thank you, Don. We will write up our takeaways and put that in the blog section of our website of our conversation with Don if you want to check that out. And you can rate, subscribe to this podcast. You know, I love how Paul, last episode, you really talked about five stars being all about amplifying voices. And you know what? That's really what this is all about. And you've, yeah. you've reframed my way of thinking about asking for five <laughs> stars, which all used to be about me and you. <laughs> Um, and so you can hop over to our YouTube channel and see parts of the conversation with Don as well and with our other guests. And that is called The Modern White Man. You can go on our website, check out more about the work, subscribe to our newsletter. Anything else, Paul? We cover it all? Cover it all. Just, uh, you know, usual tagline. I always get it mixed up, but... I know. Well, I'm, I, I would rather extend this episode for 10 minutes to talk about your middle school track and field days. Personally. Well, actually, I don't even talk about it. I can just go to my trophy room and show you all my partici- <laughs> participation ribbons. That's about the, <laughs> that's about the extent of it Oh, that's what right that there. shelf is. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Perfect. about it. Thank you. Keep showing up. Keep moving. And as always, stay humble. Keep learning. And do the work. Do the work.